So if you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, um, chapter 8, we'll read verses 1 through 5. So let's pray first. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless the, the reading and hearing and preaching and listening to and applying your word, that you would apply it to our lives, that you would um, cast out distractions, as we've had uh, technical distractions this morning. It's um, life in a fallen world where we lean on our technology. Help us to um, be blessed during this time as we continue to worship. And we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. And bless now the preaching and hearing of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Revelation chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The word of the Lord. So what I'd like for us to do this morning as we continue to make our way through the book of Revelation is to, um, rather than, and you can do this as well, but rather than just trying to apply it to our situation, rather than just thinking um, what we tend to do with the book of Revelation, which is to make symbols mean whatever we want them to mean, um, and as we see the workings of um, Satan in the world, as we see the workings of evil man in different um, places in the world, we can see where these things are being represented in the book of Revelation. But one of the things I'd like for us to do, particularly this morning, is to think about this text from the perspective of if you were a believer worshiping this morning right now as they are in Haiti. Um, and depending on what part of Haiti you may be, you've, you're a Christian, you are uh, worshiping in a church. Uh, some churches look like this. Um, some churches uh, meeting right now under a uh, blue tarp with maybe some handmade wooden chairs or on a stump or sitting on the ground. Uh, singing loudly with no amplification. Um, although some of them have these little karaoke things they'll, they'll carry, and it's like useful. But you've lost friends. You've lost family members. You had somehow miraculously figured out how to buy a bunch of goats, and this was going to provide for you and your family and somewhat for your community, and you survived the hurricane. I mean, the, the earthquake, pardon me. It's hard to keep the thing straight there. Um, you survived the earthquake, and then the uh, tropical storm comes through, again, with floods, again, and kills all your goats. I'm a believer. Why'd God kill all my goats? Why does he keep doing this to our country? 
Where's God in all this? And then however we may respond, if we're there living like that and worshiping like that, the way the believers there are responding is in louder praise. They'll cry. They'll weep with those who weep. They'll mourn with those who mourn. But not as those who have no hope. They will praise Jay-Z Christ all the more. And then they'll read this. And they'll try to apply it. It'd be a lot different than the way we might think about applying it. Or, and if you think about yourself um, worshiping this morning in Afghanistan. Um, you've received emails, texts, phone calls, messages as the pastor. We know who you are. We know who your family is. We will kill you and your family. We are coming for you. Maybe you find a place to hide. Maybe you decide, I have to do this anyway. What am I supposed to do? Fear man or fear God? Um, Amy and I have talked. I've heard on the radio different things too. We've gone a long time. Seems to me to be focused on one enemy, and you forget about another enemy. You forget about how this evil looks at times, because you've been faced with this evil. And then you get that evil. <laughs> and we have to remember, this is kingdom of God versus forces of evil. And that's it. God's plan for the universe centers and focuses on the church. And we see that in the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ walking in the center of the seven churches. Candlesticks, lights. Some of you saying, you need to do better. You're almost dead. Some are like, I'm, I'm with you, I'm commending you. I'm standing at the door and knock. That's how the letters of seven churches ends. I'm knocking. So that's what he's telling us. Hey, I'm knocking. Let me in. Maybe you're in a church in China. Early Rain Church. They're, they do a, they got their Facebook page that still goes up. They do live videos. This morning, the live video is police are outside yelling things in Chinese. You can kind of pick up on the fact that it's not good. Um, the comments that they're making is they've figured out there is an unlawful gathering. Imagine that, a country that can call a worship service an unlawful gathering for some reason. For there, it's not about COVID. It's about the worship of Jesus Christ. You will have no gods but the government. And they, and, and they gather. And a couple of sermons I've heard, there's one pastor that keeps being harassed by the government and arrested and put in jail, away from his, his family, his children, for months on end. Very good, reformed-sounding sermons. But they knock, they come in, they want everybody's um, IDs, they push their way in, they um, allow them to eat together as the police sit there and watch. You know, so whenever their Sunday, are they behind us or ahead of us? But they, this was their last worship service they were gathered at in this apartment building. 
And after they had finished eating and praising God in whatever way, as the police watched, they then arrest the pastor, all the attendants, all the children, except for apparently one blind man and a couple of elderly people. And they're hauled off to prison. You, you don't get process. As we know, even in our country, if you are deemed heinous enough, you don't get process anymore. So what do you do? What do you do when you're a church in Haiti and there are natural disasters? There's no real government that's supposed to be a blessing from the Lord. Your president's been assassinated. Um, there's violence. There's no body coming to the rescue. What do you do when you're in Afghanistan and you're worshiping, and you've been blatantly told we're coming for you. And probably not anybody coming to help. Or if you're in China, or many other places in the world where it appears Satan is winning. And you read Revelation. It should be a great blessing. Should be one of the books you turn to, and you're just like, things are not as they seem. And what we start off with in this seventh seal, because if we were to go back and see the last seal, the last seal pretty much is the end of the world. But there's a pause. You know, chapter six is, you know, destroy everything basically, and then. In chapter 7, there's this pause so that all the believers can be sealed. So if you're thinking you're a believer in these areas, you know what? You're worshiping in Haiti and you're a believer, you've been sealed. You've been protected from these things, from the spiritual harm and damage that can happen. Your body, they may kill. But you're held safe in the hands of Christ and one day with him in heaven. You're sealed as a believer in Afghanistan. You're sealed as a believer in China. You're sealed as believers here. We're sealed, protected by the hand of Christ. Whatever might happen in this world. And there's that pause. And then, just before apparently the end of the world thing happens, the seventh seal happens. And you gotta, the book of Revelation can be a little tricky to get because it's not always happening. You know, it goes from chapter 1 through 22, and it's like, is that right, 22 chapters? And they end up, you know, one thing happens, then this, then this, and this. There's, there's some going back, and let's look at this from another angle. Let's look at this from another point of view. One of the things you'll see is the, the seals are being undone. This is to test believers' faith. He's talking about the churches, and then these things happen, and the trumpets we're going to see that are coming now. These are, these are warning blasts. These are calls to warfare, but they're also things that are happening in the world to, to warn people that God is, is real. Death is real. Violence is real. God's holiness also includes his wrath over sin. It's a warning so that people might not be without excuse in a day of judgment. And then the bowls pour out, and of course that's just judgment on non-believers. But we're right here at this part of the seventh seal in verse 1, and there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
Now, the first thing I'm going to do is like a half an hour. Why is it half an hour? Um, why not a whole hour? Or why not take a long time, a short time? Um, but if you think about it, this is in heaven. I want you to look back at chapter 5. So you had chapter 5, verse 1. And you've had the, the ascension of Jesus Christ to the throne, standing as a lamb, though been slain. He's defeated the world and evil and darkness um, by his death on the cross. He says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. And then when the elder said to me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is conquered so that he can open the scroll and seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain, seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which which are the prayers of the saints. You're the saints, by the way. It's not some special class of people. This is believers. And what they do? They sang a new song. They're singing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands and singing with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them sing to him who sits on the Lamb, the throne and to the Lamb be blessing forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and how loud it must be. And then suddenly, half an hour. Now one of the things you'll see in the book of Revelation and in apocalyptic literature or anything that's a half is something that, that ends basically in judgment. Um, Jesus Christ, if you follow the 70th week of Daniel, so many people are still waiting for, if you follow it um, in the timeline, takes you right to the time of Christ, cut off three and a half years to his ministry. Um, and there's rejoicing in heaven, but then there's this silence. Revelation chapter 7, we know that there's final judgment being pronounced and then the angels are told to hold, hold off. We have to seal all the believers before all these judgments take place. And so in chapter 7, beginning of verse 9, he says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they're crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the angels and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. 
why does the cacophony, the, the, the actual, the beautiful roaring as waters and trumpets, as loud as it may be, as we heard a loud voice this morning, not a voice, but a loud screech that hurt our ears, this would fill your ears and your souls with joy, for the loudness would not hurt your ears, but continue to, to amaze as the loudness of the harmon harmonious, the basses and the, the sopranos, the trebles, the mids, everything blending and the harmonies all fitting perfectly together and, and worship to God louder than we could possibly imagine and being able still to hear because we're, and if you've ever been in some sort of a, a gathering where you're singing and you just can't sing loud enough because you just want to praise and it's so loud that you just sing louder. And so at the top of your voice is praising God and then silence. So a part of worship is stillness. We think of Jesus on, in the boat with his disciples and the storm's coming and they're freaking out because they're drowning. Jesus is asleep obviously happens as a parable for believers everywhere to think about what it's like and they they wake him up don't you care that we're drowning so they don't wake him up saying hey do something we need you now they accuse him of apathy they don't care he didn't care He's sleeping. If he cared, he'd be awake and doing something. And that's what we do when we get into these perilous situations. We don't necessarily, at our, in our not-so-best moments, what we will do is cry out and wonder, where is God? Why don't you care? Why are you asleep? But he wakes up, and Jesus rebukes. But it's so cool, because he doesn't rebuke the disciples. He rebukes the storm and the winds, and he speaks, peace, be still. And one of my favorite children's books is a big, large book, and it's got these drawings and stuff, very well done, and the one page, you open it up, and it's got the storm and all this going on, and Jesus says, peace, be still. You turn the page, and it's just like glass. So imagine you're on the boat. All hope is lost. Even Jesus doesn't care. So why do you wake him up? <laughs> I guess they think maybe he could do something or if you just don't want him to die back there. I remember um, Hurricane Hugo's anniversary is coming up. It makes us think about that. I stayed with some, a family in Manning because it was supposed to be safer there. Turns out it was more safe in Orangeburg where I lived and stayed more in the eye of the place. And I slept through the whole thing. No surprising about who knows me. And the next morning, got up like a bomb had gone off. I asked, you know, Brunky, John Brunky, I said, why didn't you wake me up? Yeah, not because I could do something. <laughs> I was like, I would, I needed to, I don't know, why, why didn't you wake me up? I, wanted to experience, I don't know what I was thinking. That was my first question. Why didn't you wake me up? And he said, I didn't want to go in that room. 
and open the door and see you huddled crying in the corner. And I was like, I wouldn't want to see that either. Thank you for keeping me asleep, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so it's like, Jesus, you know, but if you knew I might could do something about it, you know, there's problems outside. You know, my friend has shown up and he's causing trouble. I'm sleeping. Why don't you come get me, wake me up so I can take care of the problem? The problem, you know, the disciples should have been able to say, you know, wake up, fix this. But instead, you know, you get the point. And he says, peace be still, and it's still. And there's this silence. And what happens in the silence is worship when they now no longer fear the storm, but fear him who has this kind of power over a storm. I mean, imagine it. And yet we still, in our not-so-best times, fear the storm rather than him who could easily speak into our lives at any moment and that's it. There will be a day when Jesus speaks, when all praise gathers up to the Father and the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of creation is yelling and singing his praises and then suddenly it just... Because something is coming. And it's a fearful something. And all of creation that is worshiping God now waits the judgment to see the terrible wrath that's going to be poured out on the inhabitants of the earth who are not sealed but instead have received the mark of the beast which, as I've said before, isn't something you can accidentally get. It means you're worshiping Satan. You're, there's only two teams. Team Jesus, Team Satan. That's it. You're, you're one of the two. You're worshiping one of those two, whether you, you know if you're working, worshiping Jesus. If you're not, then unless something changes and you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ, then there's a terrible pause that's taking place in this silence in heaven. Unless this appears to be something I'm cutting out of whole cloth, so to speak. If you turn to the prophet Zephaniah, which is toward the back of the prophetic books. All the prophets are put in one place together. So Zephaniah with a PH. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Be silent. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. So it's the silence before judgment. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his, death, his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. And then to verse 17. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. On the day of the wrath of the Lord, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Remember, Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God. And then 
the prophet just before Zephaniah. So you just have to go back one book here, and it's Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 1, I highly recommend just reading and meditating on, on Habakkuk. <clears throat> Habakkuk 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And he says, O Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Now what we're going to see here is, as we come to the trumpets and the prayers, be, be, all this goes together. So this is, you're going to hear, this is the prayers of the saints. God, what's going on? And what are you doing? Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? <clears throat> or cry to you violence and you will not say. Now remember, think of this as if you're listening to this this morning in Haiti. Think of this this morning if you're listening in Afghanistan. Think of this if you're listening in China. Think of this if you're listening in other countries of the world where your life is in danger for whatever reason and you're called upon to worship. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. <clears throat> and the Lord answers. Look among the nations and you will see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that if you were, that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. How do you think somebody in Afghanistan might interpret this? I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter nation, a hasty nation. They march to the breath of the earth. They seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. <clears throat> Their horses are swifter than lepers, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swift to devour. They come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their guide. And then Habakkuk, all right, wait a minute. Aren't you from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, we shall not die. Lord, you've ordained them as judgment. He's recognizing why this is happening, and he's saying, okay, this is as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And he goes on with the same type of complaint. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at the watchtower and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's going to have an answer, and then I'm going to say what my response is going to be to God. And then God speaks again and talks about people who, are, um, who need to live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Um, verse 4, so chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, um, the evil person's soul is puffed up, and it's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So you're going to live by faith. This is happening, and you're going to have to live by faith. And then starting in verse 6, he starts to pronounce woes on these evil people. 
And then he calls them idols. And in verse 18, he says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, the metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, the, the literal and Hebrew here is let the earth toss in his presence. And it's a onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it's saying. It's like our word hush. Hush, hush, hush. And this is what he's saying to Habakkuk. You see what's happening. You see what's coming. You understand that these things are happening because of my wrath upon the world. But the righteous shall live by faith And I know you don't get it. And I know you don't understand. You know my ways are higher than your ways. But the righteous will live by faith. And what I want the entire earth to do, rather than worshiping some idol that has no breath and there's nothing in it, is to know that I am in my holy temple. Revelation chapter 8, we see him in the holy temple. And what God says in his holy temple is, hush. And then finally, Habakkuk, in chapter 17, hears, and well, verse 16, he says, I hear, my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines to produce the olive fail and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls yet i will rejoice in the lord i will take joy in the god of my salvation god yahweh adonai is my strength he makes my feet like the deer's to make me tread in my own high places And this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. She's supposed to sing this. And this is the reaction of the believer when he sees these things coming. And there's this silence in heaven. In Revelation 2, I saw seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. This would remind us of um, the walls of Jericho. If you want to read it later, Joshua chapter 6. Seven priests given seven trumpets to go around and blast and the walls come down and then you can enter in. So trumpets are always a call to arms. They're also a call of warning so that as we see these trumpets that are going to happen and we're going to look at these later, these things are happening are happening so that the world might see and fear that there is something beyond that your silver and gold cannot save you. Your knowledge cannot save you. Whatever it is that you think that you depend on other than God cannot save you from God. Only God can do this. And then, we're quickly, Ezekiel 33. So it's after Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he is one of the major prophets, Ezekiel 33. As we have 
Habakkuk who says, I'll sit in the watchtower. I'm going to watch and I'm going to see what God's doing. And then, and then you hear the, the trumpet blast and there's silence in heaven, but then it, it changes to trumpet blasts. Ezekiel 33, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among you and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet, does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I said to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And I believe the church is called to be the watchman. We are, and thank God that our lack of blowing the trumpets to the world um, doesn't, isn't judged by God as it should be, which is their blood falls on our heads, their blood that rightly fall upon us also fell on Jesus Christ so that we too might still live for failure to blow the trumpets. But woe to that church, to that Christian who won't blow the trumpet. Why won't we blow the trumpet? Well, one, it may be you need to be still. You don't know what God's doing. Second, maybe it's kind of clear what God's doing in a lot of areas, but you're afraid of what your friends, your family, your culture might say or think. And I think if the church becomes like that, there goes the candlestick. So we need to be able to say, evil is evil when we see it, when it's clear from Scripture, and you need to be able to show Scripture and verse in the Bible when you're calling out evil is evil. Elders have a higher calling to make sure we point, you point this out. But we as the church have to be doing this. And if you look at verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. Censer is like a thing. You put incense in it, it's burning. See, some churches you might see, you know, you've seen, you know, they typically have a, it's on a chain and there's incense burning in it and smoke is coming out and it fills the room with this, this wonderful smell. Um, as golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And if you remember back in chapter 6, we had the prayers of the, saint, of the martyrs beneath the throne crying out to God, how long, how long? So let's look at that real quick. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. 
I opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you would judge and avenge our blood? It sounds like Habakkuk. It sounds like these same prophets of old. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? <clears throat> and then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had. A little longer. The time has come. And this is where we are in Revelation. And this angel comes with all the prayers of the saints, those under the altar, those on the earth, those everywhere. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Uh, the Day of Atonement, when Aaron was to go into the, the Holy of Holy Place, one of the things he had to do was go in with incense so that the smoke of the incense would, go, would cover the Ark of God, would cover the altar, the ark, so that Aaron could live when he walks in. And so it's the throne room scene, and this is what's happening. The prayers of the saints are going in and coming up before God. Our prayers mixed with this incense, which a lot of people say, well, what's that mean? And I believe it has to do with the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't know how to pray as we all, and the Spirit groans for us with groanings too deep for words, so that as we're praying, our prayers are, are, are fixed so that the true thing that we're really, maybe we ask for ABC to happen, but it's so that we can ultimately get to D, and God's like, well, if I do ABC and D, you're not going to D, so let's just go ahead and what you're praying for is D. And so that gets fixed, and so these prayers go before God, just like they did in the Day of Atonement, just like they did in the Holy of Holies, and they go up to him, and then that, that all that is emptied before God, and then that same censer is taken, and he takes fire from the altar, and he uses that and throws this upon the earth in final judgment so that our prayers are being used by God even in the final judgment of the world. Our prayers are powerful and effective. They're, they're when a, a, a prayer in here in Haiti, in Afghanistan, in China, anywhere else as they're praying, oh Lord, how long? Oh Lord, how long? Jesus is at the right hand of God. Peace, be still. There will be silence in heaven. All of the entire universe will be quiet for a limited amount of time before there is judgment. But there will be judgment. You will be, this will be taken care of. And one of the great things that Jesus told us when he was living here was, love your enemies, pray for them, don't curse them. So, many of these prayers have been answered in the fact that many of the surrounding the throne were brought in because of those very prayers, and now they add their prayers. So we pray for our children, our parents, grandparents, neighbors, enemies, the Taliban, that they would be converted, that they would bust in on believers as they did Polycarp, as people saw the witness and said, what are you doing? And people start to turn. They see and they're convicted. And that would be our prayer. So verse 5, 
The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, lightning, and earthquake. That's where we were in chapter 6. And what you'll see as we go through this, it's like that little you know, thunder, rumblings, flashings, lightnings, earthquake. A couple other chapters, we're going to see the end of the world coming again from a different perspective. They're going to add another little phrase to it, and another little phrase finally to it. As we're going to take a look in the coming days as we go through the book of Revelation and, and see these trumpets that are blowing as we're to see these things that are happening in our world as trumpets that are blowing to wake people up. And we've seen it. We've seen people come to church. Not just our church. Only. We got, I got a general assembly talking to people, particularly in smaller churches. And, you know, how's your church doing? You know, because COVID stuff. And they're all like, been the best things ever happened and you know it's like this is <laughs> our church has grown our church is deeper there's been you know some people have left some people have come some people have gotten stronger it's like in these times of trials the faith of believers cannot stay the same no matter what you're going through old age you know illness sickness trials pestilence disease whatever it is as a believer, you have to look at this and go, why are you asleep? What are you doing? I'll stand here and I'll wait. What are you doing? How are you wait? The righteous shall live by faith. And that's what we're called to do is live by faith and know that God is in his holy temple and we are to be silent before him. And so what I'm going to close with, 2 Peter chapter 3, because we have to ask ourselves, so what kind of people ought we to be while we're waiting for these things to happen as we see them unfurling before us. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Well, verse 7. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we await, a land in which righteousness dwells. We as the church should be giving a taste of that to the world today. This is what it looks like for a people where righteousness dwells. This is what it would look like in a land where righteousness dwells. And he gives us his supper. You need me, Jesus says. You think you can get through this without me? Never. I am not asleep in the back of the boat. I am in the storm. I am in the thunder. And I am in the still, small voice. I am in this meal. For those who come by faith, those who listen to the gospel, who 
absorb the gospel, are fed by the gospel. You're fed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. He gives us this meal as a sign and a seal that you are sealed. So in the day of wrath, I took your punishment, the blood of the covenant, my body given for you, no condemnation. And the righteous shall live by faith in a land where righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your table, help us to do it not with a nonchalantness, not with an apathy, because you care. You, you, you don't look at sin lightly at all. Your son was given and given for us so that when we approach your table, it's the, it's, it's, it's the holy of holies. But we're told to come to it because we are your body. We are your church. We are the light lit by you and by your spirit. Without you, we die. But you give us yourself. Help us as we approach your table as family. That we are reminded once again that you love us. You invite us over to your house to slide our knees beneath your table that our sin has been atoned for. And that you walk with us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.